Friends, I'd like to welcome you to this week's edition of Bishop Sheen Presents, a program where we feature some of the wit and wisdom of the venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. For over 50 years, Archbishop Sheen captivated audiences on both radio and television. Millions tuned in each week to hear his messages of hope and encouragement. It is my sincerest hope that the reflections that you will hear today on this broadcast will truly touch your heart and in a way show you that your life is worth living. Hello, my dear friends. You're listening to Bishop Sheen Presents here on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. I'm your host, Al Smith, and I want to wish you, uh, again, a joyous Christmas season. Uh, we think of the 12 days of Christmas and how uh, Christmas doesn't end on Christmas Day. Uh, the church uh, celebrates the season. Uh, we extend it, we like to say. Uh, and of course, we celebrate uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary and her feast day on January the 1st. And so I thought I would share with you a few reflections that Archbishop Sheen gave on the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so I'll we'll start with the first one, which is uh, from his television show, Life is Worth Living. Um, again, the title of the program was How Mothers Are Made. And uh, then I will uh, share with you uh, a reflection from a retreat he gave, uh, simply titled The Woman I Love. And so without further ado, may I present to you the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen and his reflection titled How Mothers Are Made. Please enjoy. Friends, there is a popular song or else a poem that tells how boys are made, girls are made, and what they're made of. Girls, it is said, are made of sugar and spice and everything nice. And boys, boys are made of snips and snails and puppy dogs' tails. And what are mothers made of? Tonight, if it pleases you, we will try and tell you how mothers are made. And we'll go a long way back because it took a long time to prepare for mothers. And we already wrote on our blackboard the plan that we will follow to save the time and trouble of writing it. First of all, we will tell you the cosmic preparation for motherhood. And it takes three steps to prepare for motherhood. Now understand, these three steps do not make mothers, they only prepare for mothers. One, here this seems very high hat, but in the end it's very simple. Interiority of generation, that's one condition, prepare for a mother. Care of the young and the worth of the individual as well as the worth of the species. When these three things are prepared for, then something else has to be added to make a mother. And finally, we will say something about the ideal mother. The first condition for making a mother through the long evolution of the centuries is what is called interiority of generation. In the physical order, 
A flame lights a flame, a torch a torch. In the lower life, for example, the amoeba, there's a fission and a splitting. And the young life begins just simply by breaking off from the parent cell. And then when you get a little bit higher, there seems to be a closer relationship between the parent and the child. But there never could be a mother in this world unless we finally came to a point where there was an intimate, close, and vital relationship between the body of the mother and the body of the young. And it took centuries to prepare for this interior act of generation. The poor crabs, for example, that we know of, some of them go down to the sea and lay their eggs. They could never be mothers in the modern, true sense of the word. Then in addition to that, nature had to prepare something else, too. Namely, the care of the young. We realize that this universe of ours is full of orphans. Namely, the young that are begotten completely forgotten. For example, the trees bear fruit, and the fruit lives an independent existence from the tree. Or you ascend a little bit higher, perhaps nature is kind to butterflies, because the butterflies never have to see how ugly is their young, at least at the beginning. And then there's the care of the young manifested a little bit higher in the hen. And any boy who ever had to go out and gather eggs in a barnyard or a crib as I did when I was a boy, will never forget a cackling, setting hen. And you begin to know what an old hen is by trying to gather eggs. After all, you can't blame the hen. Never confines anything where she lays them. But there is such a very fine devotion for the young in the hen that our blessed Lord himself used that as the supreme example of patriotism and love. That as the hen gathers her chickens under her wings, so he would gather us. How often would I have gathered you? And finally, the worth of the individual as well as the species. In the lower orders of evolution, there does not seem to be much care for individuals. They perish for the thousands. What matters is the species. But if mothers are ever to come into the world, there has to be a stamp of worth placed upon individuals, and that is why as you mount up the evolutionary scale, you will find that there are fewer that are being produced at a time in order that there can be individual care. I once heard Sid Caesar give an imitation of a fly, and he was buzzing around. He went down to the sink, found it clean, and so he went down to the sink in the restaurant where it was dirty, and he bumped into another fly named Helen, and it's low. Helen, haven't seen it in about four weeks. How are you? Oh, fine. How are the children? Fine. How many do you have now? Four and a half million. Well, after these three conditions are fulfilled, we still do not have a mother. Just as I have to walk away now to have my angel operate, so too something else has to happen in the world before there can ever be a real mother. Up to this point, there's just a cosmic evolution. And there could never be a mother until love came into the world. And now follow through the three steps. 
how produced this interiority of generation in a mother. Not as it's done in an animal. In an animal, what is born and begotten is a result of cyclic responses, seasonal urges, sex, erotic impulses. These are not enough to make a mother and to beget a life within. When you come to human beings, there must be no ravishing, no stealing away of the worth of the person. If a mother is to be made, what is begotten within must come from a free act of the will, in which a woman submits freely to the love of a man. This is the poet Browning put it. Our souls are one. Now let our bodies be one. We might almost say that the generation and interiority of it begins in the mind and in the soul with love. All love tends to an incarnation. When you look at generation this way, it is not to push from below. It is a gift from above. In the great Hebraic tradition, we read a line where God speaks and says, Shall I that give generation to others myself be barren? Saith the Lord. There's generation in the Godhead. And that great generation descends and comes down to the mother. And the interiority of generation so noble and so sublime that the mother can say to the young that is within, take, eat, this is my body, this is my blood. Something else was needed to make a mother. Besides the interiority of generation, and that is a care for the young. There's not enough in the animal kingdom to make a mother, because all that you have in the animal kingdom is a care of the body. But in a child is a soul. The father and mother cooperate to make the body. But God cooperates with them to make the soul. And hence, for a mother, there has to be not only the long care of the body, but the longer care of that young mind. It does not take long in the animal order, for example, to generate and to develop the brain of a monkey. Because the monkey brain does not have very much to do. But it takes a long time to develop the mind of a child. The inculcation of ideals. 
honesty and patriotism. This is a new kind of care that one does not find in the lower part of the cosmos. And what a tremendous responsibility devolves upon the mother. For the child that is given to her is a so much clay. And she has to mold it in order that may be fashioned as a child of God. For when that child was born to her, there was a crown that was made in heaven. And woe to that mother. The crown is ever empty. But there's something else that is needed to make a mother. And that third factor is the worth not of an individual, but the worth of a person. In the animal order, you have individuals. In the human order, you have persons. The difference between an individual and a person is this, that individuals are replaceable. Persons are not. For example, you go to buy oranges at a store, and you say, no, this one is bad. Give me another. But you cannot say that about children. child is a person. Unique incommunicable, irreplaceable. That is why there's sorrow, such sorrow in a mother when one is lost. It is a person, an immortal soul that is lost. That incidentally is why every mother gives to the child a name, dignity, uniqueness and apartment. There is no greater refutation in the world of communism than a mother. Because communism says there are no persons. We're just individuals. We're like individual grapes. And those grapes have the life ground out of them for the sake of the wine of the communal state. So, so they would destroy persons. But every mother in the world arises to proclaim, this child of mine is not an individual and may not be submerged in any collectivity of a state or a race or a class. This child is unique. He has a name. He is my son. That's how mothers are made. Love that begets a life within. The care of the young. The soul of the young. And the worth of the person that is born. Now there ought to be some great ideal mother, too, upon which all other mothers have been patterned. For a mother is too noble to be without an ideal. And there was such a mother once. Every mother generates because she submits to the love of a man. There was a mother once conceived because she submitted to the love of God. One day out from the great white throne of light, there came an angel of light to 
descended down over the plains of Ezreal and passing by the daughters of the great kings of the east, came to a woman kneeling in prayer and said, Hail, full of grace. These were not words. They were the word. And the word was made flesh. She, the mother, came like a living saborium, bearing within herself the guest who was really the host of the world. This was the greatest love that the world ever knew. The love that came down into a woman and ended in an incarnation. And mothers, too, in their care of the young have an ideal, too. Animals care for the bodies of the young. Mothers care for the bodies and the souls of the young and the souls of the young come from God. And there was once a mother who cared for God himself. She cared, first of all, for his body. And she wrapped him in swaddling bands. She cared for his soul, his mind, for he was subject to her. What a lesson for children to realize that here was a child that was subject to the mother, but the child was the creator. There's not a mother in all the world who when she picks up the life that has been born of her, that does not look up to the heavens to thank love itself for prolonging itself and making the world young again. But here was a mother, a Madonna, who did not look up, but who looked down to heaven and found heaven in her arms. But then finally there was the worth of a person. And every earthly mother gives a child a name because that child is unique. And it was fitting too that this mother's child be given a name, and the name was given by an angel. And his name was called Jesus. And why? What did it mean? It meant Savior, because he would save men from their sins, not save them from economic insecurity, but save them from all the effects of psychoses and neuroses that trouble the world. Save them from their guilt. 
That was his name, an irreplaceable name. And of all the thoughts that one reads about mothers, one is struck particularly by a thought that is given to us by Bishop Oxenham in a work that he wrote on this mother of whom I'm speaking. Bishop Oxenham was talking about a statement of Whistler. You remember Whistler painted the famous picture of his mother. And on being complimented about the picture, Whistler said, you know how it is. One tries to make one's mummy just as nice as one can. Well, then, since here is a child who made his own mother, we can understand that he made her just as nice as he could. Just as nice as God could make a mother. And then when he became a babe, here, he climbed up her body as an ivory tower to kiss upon her lips. A Mystic Rose. You are listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. I'm your host, Al Smith, and I want to thank you for joining me for this week's edition of Bishop Sheen Presents. I hope you enjoyed that reflection titled, How Mothers Are Made. And again, Fulton Sheen has a way of uh, bringing us closer to the Blessed Virgin Mary. May I invite you to learn more about Archbishop Sheen's writings by visiting the website bishopsheentoday.com. There you'll see a number of the books that Fulton Sheen wrote on the Blessed Virgin Mary, along with many other great titles. And so uh, there is so much there, hundreds of videos, audio recordings, and as I mentioned, a great selection of books. So again, the website is bishopsheentoday.com. All right, we'll continue our celebration of the Blessed Virgin Mary and how Fulton Sheen uh, gave a retreat a few years ago, and one of the talks he gave was titled, The Woman I Love, and so I want to share that with you now. Please enjoy. I am going to talk to you today about our Blessed Mother. And I shall begin by telling you about Lourdes. I will come back to Lourdes again. Lourdes is a town in the southern part of France where the Blessed Mother appeared in the last century. I have been to Lourdes 30 times. I shall never forget the first visit I made to Our Lady and Lourdes. I was then a priest student at the university in Belgium and I had just enough money to go to Lourdes, which is the southern part of France. So it was about a 24-hour ride on the train. But I did not have enough money to live on once I got there, nor enough to pay a hotel. I asked my brother, who was a medical student at the university, if he had any money, but he was a typical university student, too. He had no money. And I said, well, if I have faith enough to go to Lourdes to celebrate the fifth anniversary of my ordination, it's up to the Blessed Mother to get me out. So I arrived in Lourdes, broke. I decided that if the Blessed Mother was going to pay a hotel bill, she could just as well pay a big one as a little one. 
When you ask for miracles, you must never be a piker. <laughs> and I went to the best hotel in Lourdes. By our standards, it would be a fifth or sixth-rate hotel. And I decided to stay for nine days, make a novena of prayer. The ninth morning, nothing happened. The ninth noon, nothing happened. The ninth evening, nothing happened. Then it was serious. <laughs> I thought I would give the Blessed Mother another chance. So I went down to her grotto about 10.30 at night, and while I was kneeling there, a portly gentleman tapped me on the shoulder. Are you an American priest? Yes. Do you speak French? Yes. Do you know Paris? Yes. Will you come with me and my family tomorrow to Paris and talk French for us and show us about the city? He walked me back to the hotel, and then he asked me what I believe was the most interesting question I ever heard in my life. Have you paid your hotel bill yet? <laughs> So I outfumbled him for the bill. And I arrived back in Louvain with much more than I started with. Now, the moral of this story is not to go into hotels and run up bills. But it worked for me and Lord. I'm going to talk to you about Our Blessed Mother under three titles. First as a dream. A dream. Secondly, as mother. And thirdly, as spouse. We never talk about that. As spouse. First, the Blessed Mother as a dream. She was God's dream. It sometimes happens in human love that men love in ideal before they love in fact. Their experiences, readings, become like so many separate pieces of a mosaic, and they frame in their own mind the kind of a woman that they would like. And one day that girl appears, and the man will say, that's it. She's the one. I knew a man in Switzerland who had hanging in his home, a picture of a young girl. And when he moved to America, he took the picture with him. And when he was a boy, he said to his mother, I'm going to marry a girl that looks just exactly like that. And he married one girl in my office who looked just exactly like that picture. He loved in ideal before he loved in fact. So some of you girls will be dream girls sometime. You don't know it, but you will be. And now our blessed Lord... I mean, God has a dream, namely the ideal woman. The first immaculate conception was in the mind of God. He thought of her from all eternity. Many of you have seen that famous painting of Whistler. Remember the, the mother that was in the rocking chair? And someone asked Whistler, how did you ever paint such a beautiful painting of your mother? And he said, you know how it is. One tries to make one's mummy just as nice as one can. Well, isn't it reasonable to expect 
that if we pre-existed our mother, we would have made her the perfect woman? Well, God pre-existed his own mother, and therefore he would try to make her just as perfect as he could. And she, therefore, was a dream and an ideal in God's mind. I think she was even thought of as the new Eve. God made a garden, as God alone knows how to make a garden beautiful. And then he put the first man and woman into it, and they fell and lost the garden. And then God thought of another garden, another Eden, a flesh-girt paradise, which would be his mother to be gardenered by the Adam new. And this new paradise of the Incarnation was our Blessed Mother. I believe really and truly that she is the woman whom every man loves an ideal. I think that subconsciously she is the kind of woman that every woman wants to be. The dream of the whole human race. But she was not only a dream, she became now the mother of God the Son when he became incarnate. God sent an angel out from the great white throne of light, and the angel came to Mary, kneeling in prayer, and asked her this question. Will you give God a man? Will you give God a human nature? Do you know that that question comes to each and every one of us when we were baptized? God said to us, Will you give me your human nature? He wants to use us, too, as he used the human nature that Mary gave him. And Mary promised to give God a human nature. And finally, the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Our blessed Lord, and unlike other mothers, now I've often seen mothers here in the audience and with young babes, when those babes grow just a little older, and it happened to many of you young people, your mother said to you, there's heaven way up there. But the Blessed Mother was the only woman in the world who could look down to heaven, for she held heaven in her arms. She became, therefore, the mother of Jesus. And it was not easy to be his mother. Now, there were many trials that she had. I will not go into those, but I'm going to quickly pass over to the moment when she presented our Lord in the temple. There was an old man there by the name of Simeon, and he had been awaiting the birth of the Messiah. And when the Blessed Mother gave him the babe, there was no generation gap. There never is where there is Christ. And the old man said, Now you can dismiss me, O God. I'm ready to die. I've seen the Messiah. 
But then he spoke to the Blessed Mother, and he said, A sword will pierce your heart. A sword. There are two Greek words for sword. I've forgotten one of them. The first word that I have forgotten is, is the little sword that is almost a dagger. The other word is romphi. Romphi is one of those large crescent swords. And that is the Greek word that was used. A sword of like a romphi will pierce your heart. In other words, you will have sorrow. Now we come to the marriage feast of Cana. And we're going to find our blessed Lord using a very peculiar expression. Let me picture the scene to you. There's a wedding. The Blessed Mother is already there. Maybe she knew the parties who were to be married, but our Lord was not there. He was beyond the Jordan, gathering together his disciples. The Blessed Mother represented the Old Testament, and here our Lord, the New Testament, is still far off. He comes to this wedding. And when he arrives, the Blessed Mother says to him, they have no wine. Now that was serious in a wine country. First of all, wouldn't you think that anyone who had a wedding would provide ample wine? Why did the wine give out? Because our Blessed Lord brought all of his disciples. They liked wine even in those days. And it was the Blessed Mother who was the first to notice there was no wine. She always notices our needs before we do. And she said to her son, they have no wine. Now notice the words of our Lord to her. Woman, not mother. Woman. Woman, what is that to me? Now, in the original of the gospel, in the Greek, the words are, what to me to thee? That's all it is in the original. Woman, what to me to thee? My hour has not yet come. Whenever you find the word hour in the gospel of John, it always means the passion, death, suffering of our blessed Lord. So our Lord is really saying to his mother, my dear mother, you want me to declare myself as the son of God, to reveal myself as the Messiah? Do you realize that the moment I do that, your relationship to me changes? Up until now, you have been my mother. But when I begin my public life, work my first miracle, you will no longer be just my mother. You will be the mother of everyone that I will redeem. You're involved in this. What happens to me is going to happen to you. And therefore I address you not as mother. I address you as the universal mother of all who will be redeemed by me on the cross. And therefore I call you woman.
That was the meaning of Cana. With that, we pass to the cross. Our blessed Lord is unfurled on that cross like a wounded eagle. It was the last pulpit of his life. From that pulpit, see the guilt raised against the sun, soon to hide its face in shame. And he caught glimpses of figure on the wall, figures on the walls of Jerusalem. And nearby, soldiers shake for his garments. And there at the foot of the cross was that broken flower, that wounded thing, Magdalene, forgiven because she loved much. And there with a face like a cast molded out of love was John. And there, God pity her, his own mother. Mary Magdalene John. Innocence, penitence, and priesthood, the types of souls ever to be found beneath the cross of Christ. Our Lord now is prepared to talk again to his mother. No. Do you know what is happening now on the cross? It's a wedding. You've never heard that before? All of the scriptures is based upon the idea of a wedding. God, for example, says to Israel, I am your husband, you are my spouse. Now we leave the Blessed Mother as a dream, we leave her as a mother, and we're meeting the Blessed Mother as a bride. Yes. Who is on the cross? The new Adam. Who's beneath the cross? Mary, the new Eve. What's going to happen? Nuptials. The consummation of a marriage. So the blessed Lord looks down to his mother at the foot of the cross and says to the spouse, woman, and then to John, there's your son. And to John, the son of Zebedee, there's your mother. This idea of marriage and nuptials, which is carried over into the New Testament, is now initiated in the New Testament on the cross. As St. Augustine put it, the heavenly bridegroom comes from out his chambers with the presage of the nuptials before him. He comes to the marriage bed of the cross and there consummates his marriage not on with pleasure but with pain and unites himself to the woman forever. 
In other words, the Blessed Mother stands for the beginning of the church. Our Lord is the head of the church. He's the spouse. She's the bride. And there's already the beginning of the church, beginning of a family. It's John. Then at Pentecost, what do you find? You find how the family has grown. There are 120 there at Pentecost. And the Blessed Mother and the Apostles in the midst of them all. So that you married people, when you came to the altar, you were told. The bridegroom was told, you stand for Christ. And the bride was told, you stand for the church. So what we're happening, what is we see here, therefore, is the beginning of the church in which Christ now is the head of the church, the heavenly bridegroom. The Blessed Mother is the beginning of the church, the new Eve. And as many children came from Eve, so many children now are coming from Mary. And this is the reason why women cannot be priests. Because it is man who gives the seed. The woman says, I mean, our blessed Lord says, the word is the seed. For example, I am giving you the word now. I'm giving you the word that is the seed of life. That was what Christ was doing. And who was the Blessed Mother? The Blessed Mother receives the seed. The woman receives the seed, nourishes it, fosters it, brings it to life, educates it, loves it. There is no question here of inferiority or superiority. Let's get it straight. It's a differentiation of function. Man provides the seed, the woman receives it. And this originated at the cross. And never, never call the church an establishment. It's the body of Christ. It's his bride. When we get to heaven, what, what, where are we going to be? We're going to be at a marriage. The nuptials of the bridegroom and the bride. And we even have in the book of Revelation a description of how the bride or the church is dressed in the linen of the prayers of the saints. Then there's the description of the way the heavenly bridegroom Christ is dressed. We will all be participants in this heavenly marriage. Going back then over the life of the Blessed Mother, she is first a dream. She is secondly the mother of our Lord. Can you imagine the divine child at her feet? G.K. Chesterton has a few lines of poetry, if I can recall them. He said, risen from play at her pale raiment's hem." 
eternity grown adventurous with all time's repose. Up her tall body climbed as an ivory tower and kissed upon her lips a mystic rose. She was a dream. She's a mother. She's the spouse, the symbol of the church. This is the mystery we have to dwell upon in these days, for as we discontinue our devotion to the Blessed Mother, there is always a decline in the love of the church. A professor at the University of California in one of his books says, Today, whenever you hear a good word spoken about Our Lady, you can be sure he's a Protestant. Because they're writing about Our Lady. We're dropping Our Lady, and they're picking up Our Lady. For example, an English Methodist minister has written one of the most beautiful meditations on the 15 mysteries of the rosary that has ever been done. It's called Ten for Joy, Five for Sorrow. The Protestant monastery of Taizé in France has written beautifully about Our Lady. Now that you know who she is as a dream, and all of you girls should pray to be like the Blessed Mother, good and virtuous, so that you'll represent the church. Come up here, you. That little one there. Yes, come up. Come on up here. Now, this is a little symbol of the Blessed Mother's, a little girl, isn't it? Yes. And keep, keep as sweet as you are. What is it? Isn't there a song? Stay as sweet as you are, nice as you are always. God love you. Go back now. And as a dream, as a mother, and as a spouse. So you young girls... Seek to be like her. And boys, to be pure, be devoted to her. She will keep you intact and good. Keep a statue of Our Lady in your home. Say the rosary to her every day. Every day. I was once instructing... Buffy Cobb's wife. Maybe some of you remember Buffy Cobb, the great humorist. Well, I instructed his daughter and his wife. Buffy Cobb had died an atheist. And she came to me a week after I had finished instruction, and she held up a rosary, and she said, I know what to do with all of this, but what do you do with the tail? <laughs> so I had to tell her, you start with the tail. <laughs> Say your rosary, keep an image or statue in your home and if you are advanced enough say some of the office of Our Lady if you want someone converted pray to her once when I was at Lourdes I was just finishing my visit and I went down to say goodbye to her it was about 
8.30 at night because the train for Paris left at 9. And my last prayer was, Blessed Mother, send me some suffering or trial to save a soul. Now, that's a very dangerous prayer. If you think prayers are not answered, try that sometime. <laughs> but don't be light about it. It's very serious business. So I said, send me some trial or trouble to save a soul. So I ran back to my hotel, climbed up the first flight of stairs. Somebody was following me. Second flight, somebody following me. Third flight, someone running up the stairs behind me. Ran down the corridor, someone behind me. As I put the key in the door, there was a girl about 23, 24. I said, are you following me? She said, yes. I said, why? She said, I don't know. I saw you this afternoon in procession. And I just decided I wanted to talk to you. I said, are you here on pilgrimage? No. She said, I'm an atheist. Oh, I said, you're not an atheist. You probably have fallen away from the church. Well, she said, I came down with a group of atheists. There were 60 of us. We hired a bus in Holland. I said, where are they? Well, she said, they took a trip in the Pyrenees, Pyrenees today, and I just stayed behind. Incidentally, the bus fell off a bridge and they were all killed. But we didn't know that until later on. And I said, I think you're my trouble. I'm not going to Paris. I'm going to stay here until I return you again to the good Lord. Well, I stayed about three or four days, and finally she received the sacraments. Then my trouble started. It's a long distance from Lourdes to Paris. I would buy a railway ticket, they would put me off the train, said it was no good. They would put me off at a station where there wasn't any food, there wasn't any water. It took me a week to get to Paris. I don't know how to explain it, why tickets were not good. I'd buy them at the railway station, get on the train, no good. Put off the train. Well, that was the price I had to pay for her soul. And then... Another incident that involves Lourdes. Just at the turn of this century, I was married in Paris, just an ordinarily good Catholic girl and a, an atheist doctor, Dr. Félix Lasseur. He attempted to break down the faith of his wife, and she reacted and began studying her faith. And in 1905, she was taken ill tossed on a bed of constant pain until 1914, August. When she was dying, she said to her husband, Felix, when I am dead, you will become a Catholic and a Dominican priest. Elizabeth, you know my sentiments. I've sworn hatred of God. I shall live in that hatred and I shall die in it. She repeated her words and passed away. Rummaging through her papers, he found her will. She said, in 1905, I asked Almighty God to send me sufficient sufferings to purchase your soul. On the day that I die, the price will have been paid. Greater love than this no woman hath. 
that she laid down her life for her husband. He dismissed it as the fancies of a pious woman and decided to write a book against Lourdes. And he went down to Lourdes to write against Our Lady, but as he was looking up into the statue, he received the gift of faith. So total, so complete was it, that he never had to go through the process of juxtaposition and say, well, how will I answer this difficulty, or how will I answer that difficulty? He saw it all in its utter error and stupidity. Well, the then reigning pontiff was Benedict XV, and then came World War I. Hearing of the conversion of Dr. Lesser, Benedict XV sent for, Father, for Dr. Lesser. He went in company with Father Jean Vier, the orator of Notre Dame. Dr. Lesser recounted his conversion and said he wanted to become a Dominican. Holy Father said, No, I forbid you. You must remain in the world and repair the harm which you have done. Then he talked to Father Jean Vier, and turning back again to Dr. Lesser, he said, I revoke my decision. Whatever Father Jean Vier tells you to do, you may do. Lent, 1924. I made my retreat in the, Domin retreat in the Dominican monastery of Caen in Belgium, where four times each day and 45 minutes each time, I made my retreat under Father Lesser, Catholic, Dominican, and priest who told me the story. So the Blessed Mother makes converts. She pays hotel bills. <laughs> she converts atheists. And how this story ever got to earth, I have no idea. But it seems that one day, our Blessed Lord was walking around the golden gates of heaven, streets of heaven, and he saw some souls that got into heaven very easily. And he went to Peter. He said, Peter, I've given you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You are to exercise that power wisely and judiciously. Tell me, Peter, how do these souls gain entry into my kingdom? Peter said, don't blame me, Lord. Every time I close a door, your mother opens a window. <laughs> so remember, there's always the open window for us. And we are her children, and with this I conclude, as, and as her children we say, lovely lady dressed in blue, teach me how to pray. God was just your little boy. Tell me what to say. Did you lift him up sometimes, gently on your knee? Did you sing to him the way mother does to me? Did you ever try telling him stories of the world? And oh, did he cry? Do you think he cares if I tell him things? Just little things that happen? And do angels' wings make a noise? Can he hear me if I speak low? Does he understand me now? Tell me, for you know. Lovely lady dressed in blue.
teach me how to pray. God was just your little boy, and you know the way. May the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain upon you forever and ever. Bye, and God love you. You are listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. I'm your host, Al Smith. I want to thank you for joining me for this week's edition of Bishop Sheen Presents. It's always nice to receive a blessing from Archbishop Sheen, and that last recording, of course, uh, he spoke so well of the woman he loves, uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary, and of course he gave us his blessing, and so uh, let us take that blessing with us into the new year. My dear friends, I want to thank you for all your financial and prayerful support over the last year, and we would ask you to kindly consider us uh, in your financial giving in the new year here to support the work of Radio Maria. My dear friends, until the next time that we meet, may the good Lord continue to bless you and keep you. May the Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, and may the Lord look upon you kindly and bring you peace. God love you.